Welcome back to the K-12-ish podcast. I'm Anna, and today we're joined by Jennifer Carter, who's the executive director at Oak Tree Learning Center, and you're the former academic dean, uh, curriculum coordinator, and assistant director of New Roads School, and you're a podcast host as well with the Mrs. C's podcast. Could you tell us a bit about it? Um, so the podcast is a really unique opportunity for people to be a fly on the wall. Um, usually you hear a podcast and it's for parents and parenting, or you hear a podcast and it's for administrators or teachers, but this is really just conversations that I'm having with a variety of people who just have some level of involvement, involvement with school from zero to college. And so we have a wide range of people talking about things that are on their mind and asking questions. That's awesome. Who's been one of your top guests you've had so far? Um, wow. I mean, there's so many, I, like I can just rattle off the topics. Um, just recently, I had a conversation with Dr. Marini Smith, and she is interesting because she is a zero to five professor. She has um, two children who, well, they're elementary age, but um, they, one of her children is medically fragile. She also um, teaches college students. She taught in elementary school. So she really is like all of those different stakeholders. And we were um, discussing just what it means to be the mom of children with learning differences. Um, talking about everything from the emotional journey that entire family has to go on all the way through to like where to get resources, some of the practical things, how do you identify? So that was a great conversation. Um, I also had a conversation with someone, um, Joanne Griffith, who is a journalist. She actually runs a hub for um, public radio stations across California. And she's, um, she works, she's, starting a, a, her own kind of a side hustle, a side business. And she's a mom of an elementary schooler. So we were just talking about like, the, one of the things we said is, you know, everyone's like, I want to give it my hundred percent. And we're like, there's a hundred percent is a finite amount. If you give everything a hundred percent, there's zero left. And just talking about um, juggling what it means to be a mom and then also to have a, an, a, a job outside of the home and those things. Um, another really interesting guest that I had on was, um, Dave Espen, who's the executive director of Californians for Quality Early Learning, which is an advocacy and support hub for people who own preschools and then also for preschool directors. And his prop, his, his, his thing that he was thinking about is he wanted to figure out how do you get more diversity in your sphere so that when we're faced with a moment like this where we're so divided you know how do you how do you diversify your own life if you want your kids to be tolerant if you want your kids to be empathetic and open how, what do you do to make sure you personally are providing that for them and giving them that experience so that was also a really interesting conversation wow i mean especially with that last bit I think that that's so important that like diversifying who you're interacting with, just even from a diversity of thought. I live in Portland, Oregon, so it's very much a bubble. 
in a lot of ways. And I appreciate that challenge because it, it does really help with developing some sense of tolerancy and being able to interact with people who are different than you or think differently than you. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Did he have like a little piece of advice for how to do that? Like what would be your like 10 second way to go about that? Um, well, I think I've suggested like if you have a church group um, or if you're affiliated with a church, try a church in a different neighborhood or a synagogue in a different neighborhood. Um, also like meet up, you know, find find things that have your interest but see if there's a variety of people who have that interest as well, because you want to make authentic relationships. You don't want to just say, oh, I know this kind of people. or I know that kind of you really want. Like if you are upset and you're having a bad day and you pick up the phone, you want a diversity of people to be on the other end of that. And that's like an authentic relationship and not just one to tick off a box. That's great. So it kind of brings me because obviously Dave Espen, he works with CQEL. I've worked with him a little bit too. He's fantastic. But you right now are the executive director of a preschool. But you, similarly to the first guest you were talking about, you've worked at all levels of yeah. education from college to K-12 to now childcare. So what most recently drew you to childcare? I always say it was Google and God, you know, I had no intentions of being a business owner. I was totally happy. Like most of us, like working for someone else complaining about my boss, but my husband lost his job. And so we were like, well, maybe we could buy a business. And we literally Googled buy a business and went on a website and they're like, what are the categories you want to have your business? And we checked education and finance, because those are the two fields we're in. And then our first school came up. And so that's why I always say it was Google and God, because I did not seek this. You know, this is what we were pointed toward. Isn't Google amazing that you can like go in and check these boxes and it spits out like what you should be doing. I mean, technology continues to amaze (laughs) me, but that's a great story. So you previously were then obviously at other levels of education. What lessons from your work, for example, as the uh, academic dean or curriculum coordinator at New Road Schools, how were you able to leverage your experience there into running your childcare business? Well, I I would actually argue that I've been learning to run my own business and run my own school since 1994 when I started my career. Because if you are wise, every job and every situation will have like a bunch of tools you can pick up and you put them in your imaginary tool belt. And so as I was in the classroom and then making my way into admin, each of those jobs told told me a different perspective about education, right? So I knew that I wanted to stay in education, but if you think about it, every job gives you a different perspective on what education is. First as a classroom teacher, then an English teacher, then a department, this, or, a, you know, and so over time you have a full range. Um, and I think that that whole span of my career really prepared me for this moment Um, I actually built our curriculum. Um, That's a direct relationship from my previous job to this one. Um, In my previous job, I um, structured the academic program and worked with the department chairs for that school. And so it was very easy for me to then transition into this so that I could um, 
be more suited to build a curriculum and then not, not just a curriculum, but also an assessment. And then how do you, what is it, the strategies that actually support the best learning of this curriculum? So yeah. that I think that was the direct connection. Interesting. So you said that it, you got all these different perspectives of education and all these different roles. What was maybe one of the perspectives that surprised you the most? That surprised me. Um, I think when I became a parent, um, because I give all this great advice to parents and they, they're constantly, Oh, that was great advice. It worked. Thanks for the support. But when you have your own child and you have like your own case study day after day and that case study, whatever hypothesis you come up with, it just goes sideways. Um, I think that experience raising children and then also um, being in a super supervising role, I think also um, were, were, was surprising as well, because I don't think that people have a full awareness of how many layers, you know, if you're just a supervisor of a certain number of people, there are all these other layers above you. And there's not necessarily an awareness at the top, what the bottom is doing, or at the bottom, what the top is doing. They just have an awareness of you and the choices that you have to make. So I was kind of taken, I was like, whoa, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being tugged in between these two things. And, and um, it was hard at first. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because one of the things is like you and I have worked together on a couple articles you've published and one of them was about leadership strategies. So I do think being in a management position myself, it is really interesting because there are layers above you and there are layers beneath you and you're trying to make sense of it all and you can't see a lot of it. So how have you worked to maybe make it a bit more seamless between those different layers now in your leadership positions? So, I mean, I think that that there's a couple of different things to kind of be aware of when you're talking about leadership positions, because depending on where you are in those roles, you, you have a much different role. So for example, if you're a supervisor of a department, your role is drastically different than if you're the VP of a company, or if you're the principal of a school, because the stakeholders that you deal directly with are a lot different. Um, I think one of the realizations that I had that may be helpful to everyone is that I realized at the center of it, I always do a fist, like this is the student. And on the outside of the student are parents. And then on the outside of those parents are teachers. And then on the outside of them are principals. And then on the outside of them are district leaders or other stakeholders. And then on the outside of them are legislators. And when you think at the center of that, how far the outside is from the inside. And you have a realization that people on those outer layers are not necessarily making decisions with that inner layer, like they're every day, like, hey, hey, hey. Teachers are because they're interfacing with kids. Parents are because they're interfacing with kids. But I think for us in school, we have to remember how far are we away from that inner layer that we're serving? And when we keep that in mind, no matter what level of leadership, if we remember at the core of this is students and what's best for them, 
it will drive everyone toward what's best for students. And then you can move away leadership styles and, and strategies and all that stuff, because then the question just simply becomes what's best for students, no matter who you are. Yeah. So do you think, because you're right, like teachers, they're working every single day with students, parents are interacting with their students and other students every day. But as you venture further and further out, you're losing that connection. And then you lose that, that vision of what we're doing this for. Do you see any sort of positive shift that leaders on those really far out levels that they're starting to consider more how these decisions impact students? Well, I would say COVID was our best friend in that because now, no matter where you are on that continuum, if you have children, you're suddenly, wait a minute, this curriculum choice for this kid or this Zoom for this kid, or and, and then you start to think all the layers that have gone like to get to the center, if it's your child or your grandchild or your, your sister's child or your brother's child, you start to think about it, or this has made us all think about it in a very different way. And it's immediately, we're all connected to that, that firsthand, first person student experience in a way that we hadn't, hadn't been before. And so I do think now people are remembering what's at the core of education because they themselves have seen how do parents balance this? Wait a minute. If we're having them do teachers do this stuff, how do they get all this work done? You know, and and it's making us think questions from a firsthand perspective when we have, you know, not all of us have had to do that for a long time. Absolutely. And I think when COVID hit, suddenly education and the and what a teacher's daily life and a student's daily life looks like, like that was just it was blasted all over the news that for the first time in a long time these people were given a a mic to be able to share what their challenges are and being able to look for support. And suddenly everyone was listening. So yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And so I know that you have obviously a background in K-12 curriculum and assessment, and you've brought that now here uh, to your childcare. What is, especially with COVID, has your approach to curriculum and assessment changed? I would say that um, what I noticed for zero to five, the way that the way that we assess is so much different because if you think about and so I have I've, I've written a book that has an explanation of the curriculum. It's called Meaningful Assessment Ready Experiences for Pre-K, but it's called Made for Pre-K for short. And in the introduction, I just describe my first few it experiences at the daycare. First, I had the cook was late, so I had to make waffles and get together fruit and stuff. And then someone had an accident, and then a parent wanted to have a you know had a question, and then someone left their sweater outside, and then we came inside to do an activity, and I was like, oh crap, where's the where's the paint? <laughs> I forgot the paint, you know. And so I'm sitting there thinking. How in the world are we asking pre-K teachers to do all of this and assess them and to not just not just assess, but assess in a way that we're like, we, we should be able to figure out what school they should go to next. What's their trajectory? What are their learning differences? 
And I don't necessarily know if I understood all of the conflicting daily activities that happen that get in the way of that assessment. And so what I did was came up with a way to assess in a way that is integrated in the activities, that's integrated in the school day. Even taking notes, they put them on post-its and they put them on a a piece of paper. They put the post-its on a piece of paper. And then when they have time to sit down, they pull the post-its off and they put them in an assessment grid. You know, just like making it a little bit simpler because when I was in K through 12 and even college, no one was going to potty on themselves. I didn't have to. Well, and they didn't tell me about it. (laughs) Right. I didn't have to pick up animal crackers and and sanitize tables and wash hands and kiss boo-boos. You know, all of that stuff is taken care of very much off screen. But when you're in zero to five, that that is the screen. And there's expectations of preparation for that, those, those years to come. So, I mean, it really made me rethink, like, how can I make life simpler for these folks? Because if I'm this frazzled and I've been out and believe it or not, all of that stuff happened in like an hour. I was like, there is no way I can expect them to do all of this on a daily basis. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, I've worked with six and seven year olds. I have some experience in that age range um, in education, but never, I mean, even that was a lot. So I can't even imagine zero to five knowing like what it requires to keep students engaged at that age and just the like extra needs that they might have. So obviously zero to five is different than K-12, but that idea of simplifying what assessment looks like, do you think that that could be leveraged within the K-12 space at all? I, I really wish that people would read I mean, I'm that person that has read the the research and the background of things like the Common Core, because it's really meant to be like projects all the time, right? And if you're doing projects all the time, first off, immediately you have a a really high level of engagement. And then that level of engagement takes away all of the other stuff, like the classroom management-y type things, to really give you the opportunity to observe what's happening. I know it is avant-garde and bold and difficult and it's not how we've done things, but I think if most K through 12 and even college experiences were actual project-based, experience-based, I think you would see, um, you would just see a whole different revelation and revolution in in education that would be more engaging for for students and, and a lot less heartache and management for teachers. Absolutely. I mean, you think about childcare and you picture students playing, right? Like everything's hands on. And then you go just the next year, kindergarten and beyond. It's a lot more, you're sitting in desks, you're learning to take notes to just take things in. And, and the common core are really interesting. I'd, I'd studied that standard set and it is, it's supposed to be project-based, but it was never really put into practice that way. So I, I think that I look at other standard sets like the NGSS or the C3 for social studies, and those are getting much more to that project-based level. And I think it's a really important trajectory for K-12 and then even beyond in college to be on. I mean, I, we all learn better by doing like, that's just, it's, it's human nature. But here's the crazy thing. So it's, it's meant to be project-based, but when you think of how it's assessed, it's assessed with worksheets. 
or it's it's more test based or it's more high stakes based. If you want to know, so my mom is from Alabama or mom was from Alabama. And when you cook really well, they say you put your foot in it, right? And the test for that is how well your food tastes, right? No one gives me a worksheet and tells me to write out my recipe. That's not going to prove that I know how to put my foot in it. When you sit down and you have a taste of something I've cooked, you know, but we, we give kids projects and then we're like, here, fill in these bubbles. And so there's an incongruence between what we teach, how we teach and how we assess. And until those things are all in alignment, you will always have, you know, there, it, it'll just be out of whack because the assessment has to match up with all of the things that come before that, the curriculum, the strategies and those things. If you're assessing for worksheet, worksheet based, it should be book based. If you're assess, um, assessing for life experience, it should be project based. In my opinion. But what do okay. I know? <laughs> <laughs> you did write the book on it. So I would say you're, you're somewhat qualified to be speaking about this. I. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree, though. There should definitely be some sort of parallel nature between how we're teaching and then how we're assessing. So, right. yeah. So this last part of the interview, I, this is a game I put together this morning. So we'll see how it goes. But it's called edu- Education in the Time of Corona. I'm going to throw some your questions your way. They're meant to just be fun. And I'm interested to get your responses on them. So you ready? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Wait, so, are these PG, G, what? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, they're, they're, <laughs> if, you know, wherever we want to take it, they're, okay. uh, they should hopefully be, um, <laughs> there are no two, I would say, um, there's no too wild of question on this, okay. but we'll see where it goes. So, um, first question, a student loses their mask at your school. Where's the first place you look? Their pockets. That's usually me. Um, (laughs) So you have a health and safety task force. What's an issue that someone brings to you that you're surprised you're not surprised about? Um, Anything that has to do with the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that from my time in education. Um, (laughs) I'm in preschool. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, you're giving a virtual tour and you're trying to balance your computer or phone and you're speaking to people. What's your shoe of choice to prevent yourself from tripping? Um, I, right now I'm wearing uh, Stan Smith Adidas, so they're they're pretty stable. Yeah, those are good. Um, I fall all the time, so this question was maybe more for me, but I was very curious. (laughs) Yeah, like what should I wear? Yeah, Yeah, right, exactly. Like I'm taking notes now. Um, Okay, so you're sneaking sips of a beverage in the morning during drop off under your mask. What is it? Probably Star of Persia tea. Mm -hmm. I've been drinking it for two decades, so it probably is that. That sounds good. I'll have to check that out. Um, All right. Last question. It's make your own mask day at the childcare. What color material are you running out of most quickly? Ooh, at the child, probably pink. That's what I figured. That's a fun, that's a fun color though. Pink glitter. Yeah. But that's not a color, but it's it's a vibe. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. This has been fantastic. So where can the listeners find you? I mean, I know you referenced the book, you have your podcast, you're on social media. What would you like to share? 
Um, if someone would like to find out more information, they could go to www.oaktreelearningcenter.com. And there's a link to everything we do on that page. There's a link for our school in San Bernardino, our YouTube, Instagram, our podcast. And I would love to have people join me on the podcast and just talk about whatever's on their mind. That would be fantastic. Awesome. Great. And I'll make sure I include those links in the show notes too, for everyone listening. But I know I follow you guys on Instagram and you guys have a very fun feed to look at with lots of like cool things that are going on at the childcare. So I really appreciate it too. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Jennifer. Thank you.